You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Ellie Fox and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. We can just go round and have each person introduce their, themselves and then we'll get down into the nitty gritty of the questions. Um, so Maxine, as your top left, could you go first, just introduce yourself and tell us what you do, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name's Maxine Farmer. Um, I work at Cambridge University Hospitals, which is a really large teaching trust based um, in the east of England. Um, CBH is a family of hospitals comprising of Adam Brooks and the Rosie, um, and we provide both emergency medical and surgical care to the region. Um, about me, uh, my current role is quite flexible as a result of COVID, so I'm a kind of strategic programme lead um, here at, at CUH, which means I do lots of different things, um, but primarily help the business to solve the problems that it has. So whether that's securing resources, staffing or assets, whether that's managing change programmes or whether that's kind of helping deliver efficiencies um, and create economies of scale um, across the business, really. So I've been here three years. I graduated from uni with a business degree, spent a few years working in the not-for-profit sector before I joined the NHS. Um, but fundamentally, I'm kind of a project manager at heart and um, I spend a lot of time delivering both programmes and projects ranging from small scale improvement and transformation projects through to kind of large scale asset based programmes. So, um, yeah, that's me. That was perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Glenn, if we go to you next, if you could introduce yourself for us, please. Certainly, yeah. yeah Glenn Turk. Um, I work in the Suffolk North East Essex Integrated Care System. Um, my role is a program manager. I'm currently responsible for the remote care program and the elective recovery programs that we're running within the within our ICS system. Um, I've only actually been in this position for just over a year. Prior to that, I've uh, the best part of my career was um, in the commercial sector um, in a variety of couple of companies there. Um, 25 years experience of project and program management. As I say, the vast majority of that is in the commercial sector. So coming into the healthcare sector is something of a new 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 sort of take on it for me but um it's certainly enlightening and uh, um, quite interesting as well so that that's me i think thank you very much glenn and last but not least solomon if you could introduce yourself please yes solomon olonio is my name i'm currently working as a program director at uh, mid and south uh, essex hospital or trust because it's a new formerly uh, formed uh, Trust, uh, which comprises uh, Basidon, uh, Southend, and uh, Bromfield, or some people call it Midessex uh, Hospital. Yeah, uh, my background is uh, actually I'm a shattered engineer, working the light of a Ford Motor Company, uh, a little bit of a program management service improvement uh, before joining the. NHS and uh, I've been within the NHS for the last five, five years now, roughly. Uh, mix of a career, uh, service improvement, operational management, and now uh, kind of a program uh, director. However, that also implies uh, continuously using my service uh, improvement uh, knowledge. That's me in a nutshell. Thank you very much, Solomon. Um, okay, let's get straight into the questions. So Maxine, could you introduce yourself first? I'm going to go straight over to you. I really like your question. 
Um, so you asked, what attracts us as project management specialists to work within the NHS? What do we think makes NHS projects special? Really interesting question. Do you want to give us a bit of context as to why you want to discuss that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was kind of, you know, project management quite often looks at the hard and soft sides of, of projects, particularly when we're looking at kind of change and implementing change. Um, and I was thinking, you know, project management skills are really adaptable and work across a variety of different environments. You know, the Solomon and, and Glenn have talked about their different areas that they're working on. Um, and I work in very different areas as well. And actually, it's a core set of skills that apply across a series of different areas. And actually, what attracts me to taking those skills and maybe using them in an NHS environment is probably a combination of factors. One is probably the amazing groups of people that I get to work with. Um, I've had the luxury of working with some incredibly dedicated kind of clinicians and carers across the spectrum, particularly when you look at kind of service improvement projects. Um, so actually you're looking at people who are passionate and dedicated and actually really care for their patients and want them to have the best possible services. Um, and when you've always worked in the NHS, that becomes a bit of a, oh, that's normal. But actually, to work with motivated, dedicated and passionate people is really, really important. Um, so for me, that's kind of one of the really big appeals. Um, I think it's also about the creativity and the reuse of resources that we sometimes see in the NHS. I know that probably seems a bit of an oxymoron sometimes when people think of public sector and public sector budgets. But actually, people don't necessarily have as much resource as they would like at their disposal. So that really pushes them to try creative new approaches. We have situations like we've had recently with COVID where actually we've tried an awful lot of new things at pace, at scale, to see whether they're able to help us you know, implement change and deliver services differently. Um, and we've seen amazing kind of telephone based services that have been discussed for such a long time, but they're only really now getting traction and getting kind of implementation. So there's an appetite and a willing as well as a kind of creativity um, that I'm not sure you necessarily see in other parts of the system. Um, and I think also, you know, there's a broader recognition across society about how important the role of the NHS is. You know, we quite often talk about it as an unsung hero, but, you know, I've been nothing but proud to work in the NHS for the last 10 years and the last two years of, you know, possibly being two or three of the hardest years we've ever had. So it's really lovely to be able to kind of reflect on all those different elements and bring them together and kind of say, Actually, that is why I do what I do, even when some days it is long and tiring and frustrating and progress feels slow, perhaps. So that's that's probably the first answer to, to my question. Thank you, Maxine. Uh, I mean, Glenn, let's go over to you. I know you said that you, you've come from a commercial background. What was it that drawn you to the NHS? That, that's exactly right. Yes, I was going to say, vast majority of my career has been in the commercial sector. Um, and I've, this is my second stint within the NHS. Um, you know, there was, there's been a five or six year gap between the two, as it were. And I think one of the, you know, picking up what Maxine said there about, you know, the, the core skills of you know, a program manager and so forth. Yes, they, they translate, whether it's in, you know, commercial sector, working at a large telecoms as company as I did or working in the NHS, you're still project program managing at its core is about the same thing. It's about engaging with people. It's about, you know, chiving things along. It's about making things happen and making change happen. And now the NHS over the last 12, 18, 20 months, whatever it is, has seen unprecedented changes. They really are. Um, and we have, as Max said, we've moved at pace like nothing on earth, quite frankly. Um, and it now is a really exciting time to be in the NHS as a project program manager because we can make even more changes now. You know, the remote care program, virtual consultations, bringing modern technology to the fore. You know, the NHS is often seen as perhaps lagging behind, technically speaking, from that in some ways. Now we can be at the forefront of it and we're making 
you know, seismic changes to the way we work and the way we deliver. So it is a really exciting place to be, I think. The other thing is, yeah, answering the questions, what, what tracks us to project management in the NHS? I think all of us have got a sort of altruistic streak in us that actually we want to help people. We want to deliver something better. We work with some amazing clinicians who, yeah, they're, they're bred that way almost, I think. It gives us less, you know, you know, I've got no clinical knowledge whatsoever. It gives us the opportunity to sort of, you know, work with people like that. And it gives, it brings out the altruistic streak that we have, I think, as project and program managers in all of us as well. Thank you, Glenn. And Solomon, what about you? What's your take on that? I think, I mean, there, there is nothing more to add to what has been said. However, uh, in my own experience, uh, just I've got people uh, with NHS background around me uh, during the Christmas dinner, lunch or table every day. So when they come home and they're just telling me what is happening within their care within their service it's got kind of a keep me thinking why are we doing that why are you doing that is there no better way of doing things differently is there no way we can do things differently yes there is and that is a kind of a, what actually motivates me to say okay you know what uh, I need to make a move to join the uh, NHS because I know that that is where I can uh, actually I can have impact uh, Nevertheless, as I enjoy the smell of uh, oil in the manufacturing environment <laughs> and the noise of the machine. So you see what you are actually dealing with. You are talking about micros, but here you are talking about the same. You are talking about product, but the product are your customer, and the customer is actually your input, which is the patient. So how do you deal with them carefully? It's very, very challenging, and it's very, very. Uh, is something that requires a different uh, kind of approach, which is one of the things that attracts me to uh, to join NHS. And now, in terms of uh, moving project forward in NHS, I think Glenn alluded to it. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. It's, uh, I mean, both Glenn and Maxin is kind of at a slow pace because, uh, and again, that is something I fascinated. I'm fascinating about uh, doing within NHS because. Uh, I don't take no for answer. You say no, I will go away, I will come back. And that is something that keeps me going until you say yes. Then when you say yes to what you've said no, you know what? I always do yes. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the thing it's a spirit in me. Although I enjoy working with the people here, yeah, I can see where you are going to. Let's move, let's move on forward faster at a faster pace. I enjoy that because then that will allow me to say, okay, I've done that. Yeah, move on to the next level and then look for another different challenges. So basically, and then the skills is a kind of adaptable. Uh, although I think uh, it's, it depends on individual personality and uh, attribute to make it work. Because uh, based on what I've seen within NHS, some people, the description of a project management or program management is just kind of a paper pushing, reporting compiling documents, that is all, compiling risk without doing anything about the risk. Escalating, escalation, escalation, everything is, has to be escalated to somebody else. It's not my responsibility. So that is where, that is the drawback of uh, of a project or program management within a nations. And it is saddening to see it that way, to be honest. 
Thank you, Solomon. Yeah, Maxine, do you want to go? You look like you're both nodding your heads there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just reflecting on what uh, Solomon was saying about reporting and risk and all those kind of core tenets of project management that we're all familiar with. But I like to think of it slightly differently. I like to think of us as sitting in the middle of an aircraft control tower, you know, bringing in the planes, landing them, just keeping everything kind of on a circling pattern, because as soon as we walk away, we know everything kind of disappears. So it's a slightly different kind of, uh, slightly different image, but but keeping everything up in the air and keeping everything moving and, you know, kind of that invisible service. Um, but the other thing I wanted to just reflect on actually is, I think when we talk about the NHS, we sort of forget the variety. You know, there are really broad types of, of programme and project management roles in the NHS anyway, from digital to patient facing to improvement to kind of cost and quality. But also there are different parts of the NHS which also have their own kind of culture and flavour and individuality. So actually, you know, you can always find something that really suits your personality and suits your appeal. There is there's no one size fits all. There is there is the opportunity to do lots of different things and really play on your strengths. So just kind of bear that in mind as well, really. It's both sets of those things that are are good in my perspective. Excellent. Thank you, Maxine. And Glenn, we'll go over to you if you've got something to add. Yeah, just want to pick up on the, the, you know, Maxine's phrase of, you know, the air traffic controller and so forth. One of the phrases that we've used before, because obviously being as part of the, you know, the ICS, I have three acute trusts you know, within the ICS. So I have three county councils. Um, goodness knows how many, you know, other organisations as well within it. One of the phrases we've used is actually the ICS. We try to be the the the, the Switzerland between them all to actually try and bring them all together, make them all sit down at the same table, and actually coordinate and bring things together in that sense. So, yeah, the analogy of the air traffic control, nice and calm, getting things, getting the planes on the ground. Yes, great. But from an ICS level as well, we want to be the Switzerland that brings them all together at the same table. <laughs> I thought it was a nice, nice phrase. It just seemed to fit in with that conversation. I feel like you've all got your own little analogies to describe <laughs> what it's like. <laughs> Excellent. Has anyone got anything else to add before we go on to the next question? Nope. Perfect. Okay, Glenn, so over to you. Your question was, are formal programme management qualifications such as MSP necessary slash useful slash relevant to programme management in the NHS? That's right. And it's, it's a very personal one here because it's only 18 months ago I did my own MSP course. Um, I've previously done Prince 2 courses and so forth. And so, I've, you know, if I was answering the question myself, the answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that, in my opinion, you struggle to pass the practitioner courses, you do the work that's necessary for it. But and, and so you get but without it, I don't I don't think you could pass the exam without having some practical application and practical experience in the first place. So, you know, does that help? You know, the qualification helps recognize the fact that you have got some experience. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be able to pass them just from a, a textbook, as it were. On the other hand, it's a no, because, you know, I've been working in project and program management for 20, over 25 years. I've yet to actually be involved in a project that commits, you know, in the commercial or NHS sector that runs along the exact lines of PRINCE2 or MSP, you know, word for word. We always follow the general principles, the guidelines and so forth. But at the same time, what we do, we don't cut corners, but we don't always do everything that we should do according to the manual. So, as I say, yes and no. Are the qualifications useful? Yes and no is my is my take on it. But that was the question yeah thank you glenn solomon you got something to say 
I mean, well, I mean, it's, a, it's it is kind of intrigue about the question anyway. I mean, the way I think one of the things I keep on uh, saying to myself about all this qualification, MSP, MP3, SSP, or whatever you name it, different acronyms. I think uh, yes, it, it kind of uh, gives you kind of uh, basic knowledge of how to do things or a guide. Then it's, I would say it's left to you to adapt that, to modify that, to suit your need, because uh, that is the way I, I see things. Uh, but is it necessary to have the qualification or is it a prerequisite to have the qualification? Sometimes, I can, yeah, as you said, it's yes, no, but it depends on how, actually how you, uh, you use it, because at the end of the day, I did uh, as part of my master degree. I did a project uh, uh, first degree and master degree. I did a project management in the school, and it's the same principle, it's the same approach, and it's the same kind of uh, edits you have to follow. But uh, if you adopt it properly, if you use it, uh, how will I call it? If you use it uh, uh, to suit the needs, then uh, you will see the benefit of it. A classic example: I've uh, seen people asking for a project plan when the business case has not been approved. Now, for some people, yeah, you are ready. Immediately you say, this is the project we're about to do without business case being approved, without the option appraisal being done, you will compile a project plan of uh, almost gunshot upon gunshot that uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't see the end of it. But then once the project plan is approved, all your timeline is already outdated because sometimes we touched, about, we touched about it, to be honest, uh, to get a business case approved within the NHS, within any other organization, whereby there is a lot of, uh, uh, how would I say, uh, stairs to climb to get it approved. And uh, you might be looking for three, six or seven months or a year even. So therefore, what is the point of uh, some people uh, actually, I mean, you outline your plan before you actually complete, you know where you are heading to. It's just like, uh, oh, you said I'm uh, I'm traveling to Birmingham, but then you don't know which route you are taking, and then uh, you are starting planning your sat nav and say, oh yeah, this is how I'm going. I'm going to Birmingham. You don't even know whether you are going or not, but I'm planning to go to somewhere in the north, where in the north, and then you are setting your sat nav. Sorry, you don't know where you are heading. That's my take on that. Thank you, Solomon. Maxine, what, what do you think about that? So I completely agree with uh, what the guys are saying and, you know, have lived through those experiences of, of Gunch Heart Hell and programme plans not written and business cases being approved retrospectively um, and, you know, forwardedly. Uh, but actually, I, want, I had a slightly different take on it. I, I think um, I was reflecting on programme management as a discipline is still quite new. You know, it's kind of growing and emerging from kind of organisational theory and business theory and management theory. Um, and actually, I think the qualifications help us build our knowledge of what this is as a, as a discipline rather than necessarily which particular qualification you need, which particular approach you take. I mean, there's been a, quite a general shift in the last couple of years to new kind of project management techniques. You know, some of the ones coming out of the IT industry, the agile and the waterfall are quite different and quite, quite more iterative, um, which actually in this current climate is completely more appropriate because we can't plan too far in advance. And, you know, we have to just work on a, a roadmap and then build. So actually, I think the qualifications are helpful, but I don't think it matters which one you have. I think it's just a grounding in a set of theories that you can build on and then measure against real life, really. Um, you know, and it also helps us 
measure against the size and scale of the project and what's proportionate. And unless you've got that experience and you've got that lived experience to, to know that, you know, sometimes things can feel a little inappropriate. You know, a, a project like HS2, for example, huge national infrastructure programme over 25 years, you know, needs really robust programme management and delivery. You know, something that's maybe a small scale change to a finance system or a HR system still needs some of the same principles, but you wouldn't expect to deliver it the same size and scale. So I guess it's about just giving you that kind of knowledge and, and building on the practice of, of project management overall, really. Don't know what the guys think about that. Thank you, Maxine. Have you got anything to add, Glenn? Or? I saw Solomon just put his hand up, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I do agree with what uh, Maxine has just said. I mean, yeah, that is, uh, that, is, uh, that is it in a nutshell. But then again, I mean, when we look at uh, uh, all this uh, program or project management again are we always going back to one thing that uh, i'm always uh, i love to to talk about which is lean principle uh, when you see some people now who read the various uh, lean books in the, in the country in the whole world they will be telling you inventory is bad inventory is poor you don't need to have inventory it has to be zero inventory now uh, COVID has also revealed why the zero inventory is good, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> so when you kind of uh, take it to that kind of a fanatical level, then that is where the problem starts. I in my analogy to it in terms of uh, when people are talking about my basic, I mean, I've defined lane for some people before and they looked at me like, uh, so are you sure you've already, you've done lane practitioner before or you've uh, exercised or practiced lane before? I said, lane is basically common sense that uh, you, well, I mean, you apply to your business when it suits the business goals and objective. And what do I mean by that? It's like uh, you are catching a train from uh, maybe underground, you are going to somewhere uh, whereby if you enter the first, first carriage, that is where you will exit the platform. That is fantastic when you have enough time in your hand, but uh, you've got a second for the train to leave the platform and the next train will come in another 30 minutes do you have the luxury to take just to enter any carriage or you want to walk to the front of the uh, carriage to enter in the first carriage so that uh, you will be uh, exactly at the exit on the other hand no you will just jump in at any point because that is what suits you at that point you don't want to wait for another 30 minutes before another train comes so exactly that's the way my own principle of uh, all these tools that uh, agile waterfall name it it's just a you need to apply common sense to it thanks solomon and we'll go back to you glenn yeah just want to come back you know sort of having asked the question i think you know i, I like maxine's point actually that you know the qualifications whatever they might be and you say there are a plethora of them these days um i think it's worthwhile just sort of putting them all into a bucket and it, it's a toolkit then if you can use as appropriate when you need it you, you you know you'd be foolish to be running a project without having you know knowing what your project is what, what what your plans are what your risks and so forth are how you track it how you monitor it and what tools you might use in specifically are really by the by as long as you're doing it so i think it's one you just want to come back and say we should view it as a toolkit of what tools we can use to actually manage a project or program as the size dictates you know as as necessary Perfect. I Thank think you. just sorry, just to add on to that, is uh, <laughs> but, uh, you've got various knives in the house, and uh, you use the <laughs> knife to cut things. 
Now you use different knives. That is what suit. You cannot use a big knife to cut a bread or something like that. that thank you. That's the way I say it. Full of analogies. This podcast, I love it. <laughs> Um, excellent. Okay, Solomon. So we'll go over to you. So you had two questions. Um, so the first one is, what is your understanding of program management within the NHS? Do you want to tell us what you mean by that? I mean, again, it's just one of those things that uh, when you see people managing project or program, uh, their view, I mean, the interpretation of it is, as I uh, earlier indicated, is, is about capturing the minute, it's about a documentation, it's about providing governance for the program or for the project. Yes, it's part of the job, but to me is, I see more to it than that. Again, that I don't know where that is coming from because my, my own way of a managing program is uh, if there is anything I can improve, if there is anything I can change to improve what we want to deliver, uh, that is the opportunity for me to make that to, 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 to join in and to put that forward rather than uh, writing minutes, compile paper, make sure the document is out, and then uh, compiling the, the rates, uh, risk and uh, issue logs, but then no actually, no actual action or focus on uh, how to tackle it. So to me is, uh, yeah, that is where that question is coming from. Thank you, Solomon. Maxine, what do you think? So I was just reflecting on, on what Solomon was saying, and I agree completely, actually, you know, there are processes and steps we go through to kind of manage our projects and uh, make sure they're delivering. But actually, it's about hanging on to that end goal. What are these projects trying to achieve? What are they trying to do? And how are we all kind of coming together to, to work on them? Um, you know, there are similarities across NHS projects, but actually they're also really different. So how can we enable the resources we have in our organisations to deliver these programmes and to kind of socialise and populate them so actually people know what's going on and it's not just about the tick box exercise of, of you know, a programme manager just pushes bits of paper around the organisation. Actually, we're, we're the point people, we're the people who understand the project, who understand the interdependencies, who connect the dots, who kind of say, well, actually, this, this pull over here is going to affect this thing over here. And fundamentally, you know, we're talking about people and patients at the heart of this, you know, people's grandmothers, people's daughters, people's sons, people waiting for heart operations and knee operations. And, you know, Glenn, this will probably be very resonant with you with elective waiting lists and things like that in the region at the moment. But actually, we're just trying to drive change and make care better for patients. So I guess I just kind of hang on to that sometimes when all the other stuff is floating around it and perhaps it seems a, a tad more prosaic than we'd like and you know I see one more risk log or one more action log or or one more person say to me oh um I've read the papers but can you just summarize them to me really really quickly <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of our job as well and you think well, uh -huh. just, you know. <laughs> but actually that's our job as well our job is to provide information to help busy people make decisions quicker and more effectively so just building on what on what you're saying Solomon really yeah Perfect. Thanks, Maxine. Glenn? Yeah, I was, I was just, you know, reading up, you know, thinking about this one. And yeah, on the basis that a programme is a collection of projects that deliver change, you know, the NHS is going through, as I said earlier, unprecedented changes at the moment. And, it, and it's important we manage change, not just let it happen. Um, change without control is chaos. Um, and so therefore, you know, 
different groups heading in different directions, delivering the same solution to different patients, different customers using different tools and so forth. It would be chaos from, from the user's, you know, the patient's perspective. So it's important for us to keep control and remove the chaos by managing the change. And that's what our project and program management are all about. It's a very short and sweet answer, but that's what it, I think in my head it boils down to. Perfect. Thank you. Solomon, have you got anything to go back on there? I mean, yeah, you say well, well nice uh, description, but then uh, when you go to the other end, whereby you will see layers of uh, program management, program manager, again, more or less, uh, how would I call it, doing the same thing, repetition upon repetition, even actually a small project a, or a small program becomes kind of a five people have to program manage it to me is uh, is kind of a is beyond control that uh, we just I mean you have one person actually doing the doing then you have about uh, five people managing the entire program you see this is where I kind of uh, what how do we allow this to kind of uh, some people then turn into kind of an uh, industry uh, layer upon layer of people managing the same thing because uh, yeah they just see it as a program manager you need project manager for each work stream even though if the work stream is something that is manageable and to me you say my uh, to me my view on that is all these program or project are not running at the same speed at times you will do 300 miles per hour then sometimes you have to slow down because you are waiting for things to happen. So that is whereby individual, whoever is looking after the program, need to be able to prioritize and to jogging things along. There will be time then you might be doing 100%, 120%, although there will be also time that you will be doing 80%. So again, to level it, to level the workload. That's why, again, that's, uh, yeah. The way you describe it is perfectly, but then uh, it's just that uh, people tend to turn it to kind of uh, 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 an industry that uh, monumental task that uh, require additional a lot of uh, resources. Yeah, I've just come. Can I just come back and say what one of you mentioned there, Solomon? I think one of the things we you know we shouldn't get bogged down with is a hierarchy of project and program management. You know, you can run the two in parallel. A project can be very big. A program can be very small yeah um and i think it shouldn't be hierarchical it's it's the scale of change that is needed that's important not whether you call it a project or a program mm -hmm. go on maxine just absolutely I, I i agree and i think we get a bit tripped up sometimes about kind of program and, and project and you know you see it reflected back and there's always the third p as well which is one you know the portfolio as well so actually <laughs> you've got the you know you've got the multiple approaches of size scale impact but you are right glenn it is fundamentally about delivering a change for an organization of some size shape or description um and how you enable that and i think that's really important it's it's almost the the kind of core bedrock that sits through everything and actually when I reflect back on my career and I try and look for the things that actually hold it all the way through different areas different roles that's probably the one thing that is there all the way through so it, it can kind of see you across different spaces excellent thank you as anything else to add onto that point guys before we move on to the next question no, no? cool so back to you, Solomon, because <laughs> you asked too. <laughs> uh, so this is a, quite an interesting question. What are the key success factors to deliver an effective program? 
uh, actually, the, this question is a kind of a, summer of a, a summary of uh, everything we've talked about. Yes. Uh, because many people will say, oh, yeah, we need more resources to deliver this program. Uh, we need uh, these tools to, 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 to deliver this uh, program. And then uh, we need this so, uh, amount of money or whatever, you name it, these skills to deliver this uh, program. Uh, for me, from my own experience, yes, partly part of it, but uh, I think at the end of the day, it it comes down to uh, the tenacity of individual uh, and in the skills of individual managing the project or working with the people to be able to bring people together to actually make sure that uh, that work is uh, delivered and then is uh, delivered effectively and efficiently and timely because you can have the resources sometimes uh, people are saying oh yeah because if the program is well defined then that makes life easier sometimes yes but sometimes actually you can make a program that is not well defined you can make it work in your own favor to actually make it deliver what you want to deliver so that is the that is the rationale to that Thanks, Solomon. Glenn, you were nodding your head a bit there. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, I was indeed, because th this was a really interesting question when I saw this one, because having only just recently rejoined the NHS, as I say, after a few year gap, and the best part of my career has been spent in the commercial sector. In the commercial sector, the key success to any project or, or programme is does it make a money? Yeah, does it make a profit? It's as simple as that. It's black and white. If it makes a loss, it's a failure. If it makes a profit, it's a success um, in the commercial sector. So. And that's where it's very different in the NHS because we're not going to make a profit. That's not what we're here for. <laughs> uh, you know, we're here to benefit better outcomes for patients. You know, you know, value for money is the service improved. You know, have we done? You know, have we bought the right equipment to provide the right service? It's not about profit, and that's a really fundamental bit. And it harks back to the original, you know, the very first point about you know my 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 take on it being very altruistic nature that we're not here to make money. We're here to provide a better service. And better outcomes for patients and I think that's what is very different about success measured in the NHS compared to a commercial organisation. Thanks Glenn. Maxine what do you think? Yeah I'm really inclined to agree. Um, interestingly I, I was watching a, a talk the other day which talked about kind of a, a new approach to kind of change management and actually what it was really focusing on was the end goals and the phases you know you don't necessarily need the details at each point because things iterate, iterate and change all the time and this goes back to your point Glenn around you know what is it we're ultimately trying to achieve better service more efficient maximize the use of our assets which I think is a really big one for me um, but actually better more effective services that deliver more for patients you know that's our end goal so anything we do on any of these programs is kind of slowly moving us kind of TikTok style towards that end goal um, and actually that's what we should hold ourselves up account you know that's what we should be saying to ourselves is this thing that we are doing helping us achieve what we are trying to achieve because then it has value because actually we don't measure the kind of financial implications in the same way um, but there are knock-on effects of them obviously you know the, the hospital care and treatment is paid for I know that sometimes is a surprise to people but there, there, there is costs attached to things and there are very real costs people's salaries people's lives you know all sorts of things so um it's yeah what is that end goal and are we all sharing an end goal and how do we bring those together because that's how we'll really leverage large scale change which is i think you know what we're building up towards needing rather than 
individual organisational change, it's system-based change across the healthcare system is kind of the direction we're travelling in. So we're just building our, our skills to get us to that point more effectively, I think. Thanks, Maxine. Have you got anything to add, Glenn or Solomon? No, not for me at the moment, thanks, no. I think, uh, I mean, Glenn mentioned a really good point about uh, profit. Uh, I will tell you, that is uh, one of my uh, story of my life when I went to see one of the clinician and the clinician was uh, uh, claimed at that point, oh, our service contributed nearly five million to the bottom line of the trust income. And um, when, when I did the activity-based costing and I said, nope, you, the way you are running this business uh, service, you are not making profit. Oh, ever is there's like a ever fall on me. <laughs> See, we are not in a profit organization. <laughs> we don't talk about profit. I say, yeah, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. It's not a profit then, uh, but then uh, you are actually overspending more than the uh, the budget being allocated. I say, so the what you are getting, what you are receiving as income, you are spending more than that. I say so. Yeah, I can understand what you are saying. It's not profit, but uh, you are overspending your budget by by a lot of miles. So, yes, there is a yeah. That is the way I can explain to people that uh, there is the profit there because you must break him, either you like it or not. Because there, otherwise, the budget will be negative. And if you don't have money, consequently, if you overrun the budget, consequently, our patient will suffer because uh, some of those uh, services we are providing, then we might not be able to provide it. Although, yeah, sometimes people are saying, yeah, they cannot deny you, they cannot do this. But then, if there is no money, then where are they supposed to recruit in post? People might hold on to that vacancy, and consequently, then. Uh, somebody will suffer due to that um, as a result of that that is the way i just say uh, i will break it that's the way i will translate it yes successfulness of a project or a program is about uh, the end goal it's about having impact but i've seen many programs have been started and because people are looking for quick solution and because the actually what they are how will i call it it's just uh, when you have a when you have a wet somewhere, a damp wall, uh, some people will tell you, oh, you know what, what we have to do is to uh, paint it with a waterproof paint. We uh, said that we put a, what do you call it, uh, vine on there to cover that up, or we said that we put a metal plate there, but actually nobody makes effort to open the wall to see whether there is a leakage or not. The tap that is leaking, or the pipe that is leaking is in the wall. So they are just putting plaster, onto the uh, process or, or things that are not properly defined, that are not properly working. So at the end of the day, you will think you deliver the end goal, but actually it's not making impact to what you are looking for. So that is where, again, that is one of the key things that is tend to be uh, missing when we are looking at a program. It's, it's easy for people to define the end goal, but actually, are we actually tackled the root causes of what we are aiming to achieve. That is the key thing that uh, sometimes tend to be missing. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Solomon. Has anyone got anything to add before we finish off? Not for me, thanks. No? No? Cool. Well, look at that. We've got some time back as well. Um, so thank you very much for joining. I hope you've all enjoyed it. It's been really useful for me and I hope you've enjoyed the conversation and found some value from it.